0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Have you found the first chapter of Ephesians? In Ephesians chapter 1, as you know, we've we've been looking at this prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. And of course, as we always say, if it was good for the church of Ephesus, it's good for the church anywhere and everywhere. And um, he prayed, and we we won't go into the setup to this, but he prayed beginning in verse 18 that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. He said that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, we pointed out uh, previously that there are three things here that he wanted the church to understand. He said that he wanted their eyes to be enlightened or the eyes of their understanding to be enlightened that they may know, first of all, what is the hope of his calling. And number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? And uh, if you back up to verse 17, I really should have read that verse because this is really central to understanding what the Spirit of God is trying to say to us. He prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. And then he lists different things. And so it's important for us to understand that this is not something that can just be understood mentally or intellectually. Uh, It's not enough to just be able to read the words and comprehend what's read. We need to understand what the Spirit is saying and what it is he's trying to get across to us. Because words cannot fully contain the revelation that the Spirit of God wants to bring to our hearts. Now, everything that the Spirit reveals to us will be in line with the Word. And the Word will be the, will be the catalyst, will be the thing that we look to wherein we find that revelation. But the revelation of the Spirit, there is understanding that we need in these last days in order for the church to be the church that it must be in these last days. Hold your place here and go back to 1 Corinthians and look at chapter one. 1 Corinthians chapter one. In verse six, excuse me, chapter two. 1 Corinthians two, verse number six However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world or before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." But it is written, as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, if you just stop right there, and a lot of times people quote that verse of scripture, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those to love him. They take that verse out of its setting and they use that to promote this idea, well, you just never really know you know, what God has and and what he thinks and and how much he loves us and what he has for us. You know, you just never can plumb the depths, you know, of all that God uh, has. But that's not what he's saying. Because verse 10 says, but God has revealed them, them things, them things which eye has not seen nor ear heard, them things that have not entered into the heart of man, them things which God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now the spirit searches how many things? How much of God does the spirit search? All things. All things. So, so how deep does the Spirit search in the things of God? All the deep things. Isn't that right? He searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. That tells me that anything I need to know, the Spirit of God will reveal it to me. Now, let me, let me, let me uh, balance that. I don't need to know everything. I don't need to know everything about God and that's why, Just this is just me personally, I don't personally believe that you nor I will ever know everything about God. Now that was a big insight, wasn't it? I just said that because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the spirit of God searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God, Isn't that right? And it says, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man who is in him, which is in him, even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That tells me, Everything that has been given to me by God, the Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God, and even further than what I need to know, but he will reveal to me all that God has made available to me and you. So there's nothing about what God has made provision for in Christ. There's nothing about our redemption. Notice that he talked about over in Ephesians, the hope of his calling. There's nothing about the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Spirit of God will not reveal to us as it applies to us. If it belongs to us, he'll reveal it to us. There is nothing about his inheritance That if it belongs to us, he'll reveal it to us. Notice, well, we'll go back to that in a minute. It's his inheritance in the saints. How big is his inheritance? Well, the Bible says that that God the Father has made Jesus heir of all things. That's a pretty big inheritance. All things. Well, it's his inheritance in us. His inheritance in us. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's go back to this verse. No one knows the things of man except the spirit of man that is in him even though no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world. Listen, you cannot get this from the world. You're not gonna understand the things of God by listening to the world. So churches that are trying to set their agenda in an effort to please the world and to give I know pastors that out of their own mouth, I've actually heard them say, this, talking about how they've ordered their services and what they do, this is what people today want. I've heard that expression repeatedly. This is what people today want. This is what people in the world expect. And so this is what we provide. Well, uh, the world's not supposed to be setting the agenda Because the world doesn't have the truth. So why should we be giving the world what they want when they don't know what they want? And what they want is not based on truth. Well, amen. We have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Uh, Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, that he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Now, a lot of times people will take this verse out of its setting and they'll, and they'll just quote, you know, about, well, I have the mind of Christ. You know, I don't know where my keys are. Where did I put my keys? I just know I have the mind of Christ. I know where, that's not talking about your natural memory. I'm not saying that God won't bless your natural memory. I'm just saying that's not what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about being as smart as God, knowing everything that God knows, and so he knows where your keys are. He's talking about we have the mind of Christ because the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and reveals them to us. What belongs to Him belongs to us. What is available, the Spirit of God reveals that to us. You understand that? And so uh, it's important to know and to understand that what we're talking about, by, about authority, must come by the revelation of the Spirit. You must, you must feed on the Word. Not something else, but feed on the word and the spirit of God will enlighten you. Let's go back over to Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter one again. Chapter one. He said that there were three things that he wanted us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation uh, about the knowledge of God that we might know and understand and be enlightened. About number one, the hope of his calling. Notice it's his calling, but he wants us to know the hope of it. The reason for that is his calling involves us. As he is, so are we in this world. The church has the same calling as Christ in the earth today. Whatever Christ is called to do, that's what we're called to do. Amen. Then he says, number two, what is the exceeding greatness? Or number two, uh, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? It's his inheritance, but it's been deposited in, in, inside us. It's in the saints. And then number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Notice it's his power, and it's exceedingly great, but it's toward us. So his calling is our calling. His inheritance is in us. His power is toward us. Now, he wants us to, to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power, which is toward us. Now, re- this is really important that you, that you understand this concept. Remember, over and over again, I've, ta- I've used the illustration of authority being delegated power. We use the illustration of law enforcement. Law enforcement officer doesn't have the power uh, necessarily to prevent crime or to direct people but he has the authority to do that and that authority is delegated power. It's power that's delegated. It's power that is delegated and so the even though the law enforcement officer doesn't have, he doesn't physically contain that power, there's power behind that authority that's way bigger than the law enforcement officer is. Well, he said he wants us to understand, have a revelation of the exceeding greatness of his power toward us, or you could say delegated to us. That would be our authority. And it's according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Most people stop right there and they say, ooh, the resurrection power. Ooh, glory to God, that power is working in me. Well, that's good, That's and that's and and that's true, and that is powerful. That resurrection life is in me. But he wants us to know about not only the power that is delegated to us by virtue of of the strength and glory of his resurrection, but also, he said, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The power that raised him, and and when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was seated at the Father's right hand and his seating, his being seated at the right hand of the Father applies to us. There is authority associated with his resurrection. There is authority with, associated with his seating at the Father's right hand. There's authority associated with that seating and, and there's power associated with it and it's toward us. That means there's something important about his seating that we need to understand in order for us to take advantage of his seating. Well, what is it? He said he was seated far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age. I mean, we get excited about this age. Jesus has been raised up and seated at the Father's right hand far above all principality, power, might, and dominion in this age. So there's nothing in this age that can trump his authority. There's no principality. There's no power. There's no might. There's no dominion. And he goes on to say, no other name. Every name. And that's in this age. Well, what, what does that have to do with us? We were seated with him. So if we were, because we, t- he tells us this, he goes on to tell us that down in verse uh, chapter two, in verse number five, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace if you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're seated with him, and that means if he's been seated far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's named in this age, then we're seated far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's named in this age. That's, that's, that's the sense in which his power is toward us. Because he did it for us. When you think about it, Jesus, prior to his uh, uh, coming to the earth, prior to him uh, becoming a human being, before he was conceived in the womb of, of Mary, he was already seated in heavenly places. He was already far above principality, power, might, and dominion. So he didn't need to go through all of this just so he could be seated at the Father's right hand. He didn't need to come here. He didn't need to live here. He didn't need to die on the cross. He didn't need to be raised from the dead in order to be seated. He was already seated there. He was already far above. But you see, we were not. He went through all of that. He humbled himself, became a man lived a sinless life, lived an exemplary life, then gave himself for, as a sacrifice for our sins, took the sins of the world on himself, put them away forever, was raised from the dead and seated back at his original place, but guess what? This time we're with him. This time we're with him. Hebrew says it was the will of God to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, because he could raise us up together with him. Oh, hallelujah. So we're seated there. Amen. So whatever authority he has in this age, we have. It's been given to us. Now notice he says not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Well, what age is to come? What age comes after this age? Did, what is this age? Did anybody have a... It's the church age. Well, the church age ends at the rapture of the church. When the church is called away, and that can happen any day, when the church is called away and raptured up into heaven, the church age will come to an end. It'll be over. There'll never be another church age. For seven years, the the, uh, prophetic calendar will revert to the Jewish age. And that's the 70th year, uh, the 70th week, rather, of Daniel's prophecy when he, when he was given the revelation that 70 weeks were determined for the children of Israel, the people of God, uh, to, to, to finish redemption and, and sacrifice for sin and everything. That 70th week, which is seven years, that, that seven-year period hasn't come to pass yet. Well, when the church is raptured out of here, the church age will stop. And the clock, so to speak, will revert back to the Jewish age for seven years. But when that age is over, after those seven years, we we will enter and and the earth will enter into the millennial age. Well, guess what? We have the church, because Jesus has been raised up far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. We've been raised up with him and, and therefore we have authority over all principality, power, might, and dominion every name this name, not only in the church age but in the millennial age that's why when you read the New Testament and read the scriptures about the millennial, the millennial age you find out that we are ruling and reigning with Christ Amen. that's what we're going to do during the millennial, the millennial age Christians people who've been born again, we're going to rule with him on this planet in his physical outward kingdom when he establishes it. When he comes back at the end of the tribulation and and, and puts all of of sin and rebellion and so forth away, The the world is gonna enter into a period of peace for a thousand years. Jesus is gonna be Lord over the entire planet. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And guess what? We're gonna be ruling and reigning with him. Oh, hallelujah. I tell you what, we we have more authority and more far-reaching authority than we understand. We will all have places. We will all have positions of authority and rule in his kingdom. You might not be anybody important now. People at work or people you know, know might not give you a second thought when they see you right now. But I'm telling you, the day is coming. The day is coming when the church, glory to God, the redeemed, the born again of God, oh, hallelujah, amen. The, the world will know the truth one day. Well, amen, I know you're excited about that. Try to contain yourself, Praise God. Now notice, let's go back to verse 22. And he put all things under his feet. Well, he he says that the church in in the next verse, the church, which is his body. Well, if we're his body, the the feet are in the body. And he said he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. The way this is 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 translated in the English it makes it a little obscure. It, it it sounds like that he put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to be the head over all things. But the to the church is, is a little is a little obscure. What it originally originally says in the Greek is that all these things were put under his feet And he was given to be head over all things for the benefit of the church. See, Jesus is the head of all things, all principality, power, and might, and dominion, but not for his own benefit, for our benefit. It's for our benefit. And it says that the church is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, that's not talking about the fullness of God that's in Christ. There are other scriptures that talk about that. This, is a, this, this word fullness is applied in a different way. It says the church is the fullness of Christ. Like I've told you before, when Jesus was here in his earthly ministry, he was the Christ. Remember, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There Peter wasn't Christ. Peter, James, and John weren't Christ. The 12 apostles collectively weren't Christ. All of the disciples of of, of the Lord Jesus, they weren't Christ. He was Christ. The Lord Jesus, the man, singular, he was Christ. And, And the word Christ, of course, means the anointed one. But when Jesus went to the cross and was raised from the dead, when the church was created, believers that, People who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are born again, they're placed into Christ and all of us become a part of Christ. So he is the head and we are the body. You can no longer say that Christ is just one man in heaven. Christ is not just one man in heaven The man in heaven is Jesus Christ. He's the head, but we're the body, and the body and the head are one. Christ is all of us. I said Christ is all of us. Now, before you get excited or or upset with me, I didn't say that my wife was Christ or that Steve Morgan was Christ or that I'm Christ or that you're Christ. I said the church is Christ because the church is his body and we make up what is known or what would be called his fullness. His fullness cannot be expressed any longer in his person alone at the right hand of the Father. The man that sits at the right hand of the Father, him, by himself, he, he can no longer, His let me put it this way, the fullness of him is no longer present at the Father's right hand in the flesh. It's made up of all believers. See that? Well, why, why is this important? What are you trying to say, Pastor? I know you've heard this, but The reason I'm going over it is because there's more revelation here than we understand. I know that personally, I see some of this, but I don't fully understand it. Say, well, you never will understand it. Well, no, wait a minute. The Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God, that He might reveal to us. Isn't that right? There's more about our authority to understand and, and I need to understand more and there's more we must understand and there's more we can and will understand. There's an expression that's popular today 20 years from now, it'll probably sound stupid, but we have the expression today is I just can't get my mind around this. I can't get my head around. You know that expression? I just can't put my head around that. Well, I, there there are some truths in the Bible that I see and in here... I've just got an awareness that it's enormous, but I just can't put my... just can't wrap my brain around it. You don't understand what I'm talking about? Well, it it, it has to be revealed in here. And that's what the Spirit of God is wanting to take us to. He's wanting to take us to a place where we begin to understand more in, in depth. Remember the deep things? He wants us to understand more in depth of our authority. Now... Let me read from Kenneth Hagin, the foreword to his book, The Believer's Authority. Now, Kenneth Hagin, you know, probably had the greatest understanding of, uh, of our authority as any, or as much or more than any person that I know of in modern times. And he, he wrote this. He said, as a result of my studies, I concluded that we as a church have authority on the earth that we've never yet realized. Authority that we're not using. A few of us have barely gotten to the edge of that authority. But before Jesus comes, there's going to be a whole company of believers who will rise up with the authority that is theirs. They will know what is theirs and they will do the work that God intended they should do. In order for us to do the work collectively that we're supposed to do, we're gonna have to have an understanding, a greater understanding of our authority because you can't, you can't act on what you don't understand. I said, you can't act on what you don't understand. Amen. I mean, unless the Holy Spirit just suddenly quickens you and, and, and empowers you in that sense, we do some things sometimes under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we don't understand. And so we, we've experienced things like that. I want you to with all of this in mind I want you to go to Ezekiel Now just because we're going to the Old Testament doesn't mean I'm going to go a whole lot longer cuz I'm not Ezekiel 22 Ezekiel 22 And here's this is part what I want to say is part of what I'm seeing more and more clearly just a little bit more that I've been seeing recently about our authority in Ezekiel 22, if you look at the chapter, it's really a stinging, a stinging indictment of Jerusalem and the people of God and their sins. I mean, he just goes down and just begins to, to talk about how uh, unclean and wicked uh, the children of Israel were at that time. Uh, in verse 24, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleaned up or rained on, In the day of indignation, the conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the unclean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar seeing false visions and divining lies for them saying thus says the lord god when the lord has not spoken the people of the land have used oppressions committed robberies and mistreated the poor and the needy and they are wrong and they wrongfully oppress the stranger not a very good picture now notice verse 22 so i sought for a man among them who would make up a wall. Now, what does it mean to make up a wall? In the Old Testament, in Old Testament times, cities very often were walled. Their protection was their wall. And so often the wall, a walled city refers to a fortified or a protected or a defended. The wall was a defense, okay? He said, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Notice, he just needed a man. I said, I I sought. I sought for a man. Just one. I didn't even find one. I sought for a man. And this one man someone who could make up a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. Remember what I said about the prayer of intercession? The prayer of intercession is a prayer to hold back judgment. A prayer is, intercession is a prayer that, that stands between Uh, someone who by their sin has called forth the judgment or the wrath of God and the actual execution of that judgment or wrath. That's what he was talking about. He said, I I, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. He didn't want to destroy it, but he said, you know, sin cries out for judgment. And he said, I looked for somebody just, a, just one man, I believe it could have been a woman, but mankind looking for a man, someone, to stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Now, what does this have to do with today? Well, you know, America is in trouble, folks. Our nation is in trouble. And the sin of our nation is great. So, well, God doesn't deal with Nations Day, just deals with the church. That's not true. His, His redemptive plan is all in the church, but he's very conscious of what goes on in the world. He's conscious of what goes on in nations. And sin still cries out for judgment today just like it did then. So, yeah, but we're living in a day of grace. That's true. If you submit to the grace of God, our, our nation is in serious trouble. And the church in America as a whole is powerless to stop the onslaught that's coming to this nation. The church as a whole in America is powerless to do anything about the trouble that this nation will see. They're powerless. The modern day church as a whole is compromised. It's in bed with the world. And it knows nothing about real biblical prayer. Well, who's going to stand in the gap? There's a remnant church. There's a remnant church. People who really know God. And who who are really and truly sold out to God. In these last days. That haven't compromised themselves. He's, He's looking for someone to stand in the gap. To make up a wall. And... He, he has somebody. The only, the only people who are going to be able to do it are, is the remnant church. It's up to the remnant church. We must stand in the gap and we must repent on behalf of the land, on behalf of the sins of people. If you go back and look at Daniel's uh, uh, interaction with, with the angel, it says that he set himself to chasten himself before the Lord when he realized the time of deliverance for his people was, was coming close. No signs of deliverance. It says that he humbled himself in God's presence and he began to repent for the sins of his people. Now, Daniel wasn't a sinful man. Daniel was the man that stood up against, you know, the the Nebuchadnezzar and and went in the lion's den. Remember? Rather than bow, rather than compromise, he faced lions and God delivered him. But he went into prayer and intercession on behalf of his people who were wrong, people who were in sin, people who had transgressed. And, And he took that burden upon himself and began to pray and intercede And even repent on their behalf. There's there's a truth in in prayer. There's There's a principle called identification. Identification in the spirit is when you take on the burden or the situation or the circumstance of somebody else and you present it to God as if it's your own. You own it, you take hold of it in the spirit. This is what Jesus did. Remember when he approached Lazarus's tomb? Mary and Martha were weeping. Everybody was weeping, and the Bible says Jesus wept. I always heard people say, "See there, Jesus really loved Lazarus, and, and even Jesus was sorry that he had died." You know, and they take that as an example of his humanity—that you know that even Jesus could 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 you know, be touched with that sorrow. He was sorrowing for his, his friend Lazarus and, and, and was weeping. That, that doesn't quite jive with the story. The story is Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to Bethany to wake him up. They said, well, he's sleeping. That'll be good for him. He said, no, Loghead. Lazarus is dead, and I'm going to raise him from. Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. You think he was standing there crying that he was dead when he knew he was about to raise him from the dead? He wept because he entered into their sorrow. He wasn't personally sorrowing, he entered into their sorrow. He bore their sorrow in himself. He took that sorrow that they were experiencing and and, and and the the loss that they experienced, he took that personally upon himself. That's identification. He became one with that. Why was that necessary? Well, it must have been necessary or the Bible wouldn't have told us about it. It was necessary in order for him to raise him from the dead. That was a level of intercession he had to enter into in order to perform that miracle. It was necessary that he bear that burden so he could deliver them from it. Well, if we're going to be the church that, that, that stands in the gap that makes up a wall, a defense for our nation, for this time in which we live, we're gonna have to enter into the sufferings and take it upon ourselves to go before God and say, God, we have failed. The church in America has failed. Our people, our our leaders, and our laymen alike have sinned. We're not where we ought to be. We're not who we ought to be. Father, forgive us it's not you're not taking personal responsibility in yourself it's something that the spirit of god has to do in us now now here's the thing i told you there was something here that i wanted us to see verse 30 i sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap stand in the gap before me stand in the gap before me Stand in the gap before me. Those words, those two words, before me. Listen, I've been saying this for for a few weeks now. We do not exercise authority in other people's lives per se. We don't just go about uh, recklessly exercising authority in other people's lives. You and I have authority over the devil because we've been raised up and seated with Christ far above principality, power, might, and dominion every day. The enemy tries to do anything in your life, you can just resist him. You say, I'm not, get out of here. I'm not doing that. I'm not taking that. I rebuke that. You've got authority in your own life. You don't have authority in somebody else's life. You have authority in a, in a measure in your own family, particularly if you have dependent children, you have a lot of authority there. But relationships create, a, 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 give a place for authority. But, you know, I don't have authority over my neighbor's house. I don't have authority over their finances. They can do what they want to. I don't have authority over their kids. They can, they can raise their children any way they want to. I have authority over their kids. They come to my house. But I'm talking about spiritual authority. I don't have that. Well, we don't just go about exercising authority at will. The, the real key to understanding exercising authority where the nation is concerned. Uh, You've heard me talk about whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus told us that. And I've said, you know, uh, too many things are happening that ought not to happen. We can stop a lot of these things. But we don't stop them necessarily by simply taking authority because people can have what they want. People can have what they want. And you can't, and I can't take authority to limit what other people, are or to, are to circumvent what other people have uh, given place to in their lives. Just as, a, as an act of exercising authority. I just, you know, I just to take authority over this or that. Notice he said, stand in the gap before me. For the land. Those, those two words, before me. That's talking about prayer. The real key to exercising biblical authority is prayer. Taking our place in prayer, in intercessory prayer, where other people are concerned. That is something we do before Him, it's not something we do outside of His presence. Do you understand the difference in what I'm saying? It's not something we do uh, separate from, from his presence or, or we do it before him. Prayer is so important. The remnant church, we've been talking about prayer, but in order for us to do what we need to do, it, it must become action. We must, as the body of Christ, as the church, the true church, we must take our place in prayer and make up a wall, stand in the gap for this, for, for, for this land that we live in. We can do it. Now, I know that people, uh, there are consequences to people's actions and their transactions and trans, transgressions and so forth. There are consequences to that. We're seeing that. But as you and I live close to God, walk in fellowship with Him, when we are doing what we should do, living the ways we should live, exercising our authority in Christ, we can walk in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on and be untouched. Completely untouched. That belongs to us. Amen. But we can also make a difference and turn things around in our nation by prayer for this nation. Prayer for the church. Church needs prayer. Amen. So-called believers need prayer. Well, I've said enough. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, but Pastor, it's Christmas. It's a happy time. I know it. (laughs) Let's all stand. Praise the Lord. This is a happy message. Because we win. (laughs) Hallelujah. Prayer is a happy thing. It's a happy business. Happy praying. (laughs) Heartfelt, fervent prayer brings peace. Peace. To the inner man oh hallelujah prayer can be there's a there's a side of prayer that can be laborious and 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 and, and uh can be uh uh a travail remember paul said about uh uh epiphras he labors in prayers for you there, there's a labor involved but at the same time there's a joy and there's a rejoicing in prayer. You can't spend time in the presence of God. And, not, and no matter how uh, in the spirit how much travail is involved and intensity of the prayer you come out of that time just whoo, lift it up. Just lift it up. Just lift it, build it up. Glory to God. Oh I tell you the church God is calling the church to pray. There's a call going out. In these last days The call of revival is essentially a call of prayer. Amen. We're going to answer that call, aren't we? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's just lift our hands and thank Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to prayer. Thank you, Lord, for authorizing us in prayer because we are the body of Christ. Lord Jesus, we know that you are the only truly valid intercessor for men on this planet. Because you alone paid the price for every man's salvation. You bore the sins of every individual in this world. Therefore, you have... a place of authority and you alone stand in that place as the mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus and you take your position today at the Father's right hand where you ever live to make intercession but that intercession has to be shared with your body here in the earth we have to take that up and enter into that Glory to God. Father, we we accept our responsibility today. We accept it. We accept it. The time for talking about prayer is past. It's the time for action. So, Father, we, we purpose in our hearts today. We make, the, we make the dedication. Lord, you can use me. You're searching for a man. Lord, I'll be that man. I'll be that woman I'll be someone you can trust I'll be someone who will turn aside at times when your spirit impresses me too I'll turn aside and spend some time with you in prayer I'll be faithful father glory to God I'll be faithful that's our prayer that's our commitment today glory to God you can count on me You can count on us. Glory to God. And the revival will be fulfilled. It will come to full expression. A great, great awakening in people today, and even in our own nation as around the world. We're seeing it happen. It's beginning. It's come as a result of prayer. We've been involved in it for several years. Not really fully knowing exactly what what you were leading us into where prayer was concerned. But we were faithful. We're seeing the fruit of it. We're going to continue on, Lord. Take us into greater places, higher places in prayer. Glory to God than we've ever been before. In Jesus' name.